With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you about Squarespace Courses. It has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. You can create engaging content your audience is going to love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and Jerry just ghosted us like a catfish, I think is how they put it. And uh, that, of course, makes this stuff you should know from the abyss. How you doing? Man, I'm just doing great. Everything's totally normal. <laughs> Everything feels comfortable and fun. So I'm good. How about you? Have you done anything really weird in the last I, few weeks? Uh, I think a more legit question would be, what have I not done <laughs> that's, that's weird? What's the weirdest thing you've done? I'm trying to think, like, I, I shouldn't have said anything, because I really haven't done anything that weird. I've just been more like, um, I, I've developed this weird kind of, uh, I guess it's indigestion, which I don't get. I have, like, an iron constitution. Uh-huh. But I don't know if it's because I've been pounding vitamins lately, and they keep lodging in this one spot in my esophagus. Christ. I think there's a weird bend in there somewhere. Um, and so I constantly feel like I've got some... <laughs> throw up just sitting in the middle of my chest. Oh, God. That's a new development. Okay. And I've noticed that when I don't take vitamins, it still happens. So I'm uh, I'm kind of up the creek on that respect. And I know that's not doing anything weird, but mm. um, I mean, I guess that aside from that and setting out box traps for coyotes and then eating the coyotes when I catch them, those are the two weirdest things. All right. That's not bad. What about you? Uh, I haven't really done anything weird. I, sh- I shaved my head, but that was just because I was bored and hot. Nice. Has nothing Did the to old do with Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't. You know, I usually do that once a year, and I haven't done it in a few years for some reason. So, yeah, it has been a little while. You've been rocking the grown out stuff. I know. I thought about shaving my beard too, just for funsies. But uh, oh boy, I don't know. I think now's the time to try all these weird things where no one's going to uh-huh. see you for six weeks. <laughs> Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, after we get done recording, I have a date with Yumi to go cut my hair because I've got the COVID hair. It is really long. Yeah. Real long. It's just out of control. You know that point where when you grow your fingernails out too far and they just turn that corner? Well, you wouldn't know because you bite your fingernails, right? Uh, I quit biting my fingernails a while oh, good ago. For you. Yeah. Okay, so, so maybe you've experienced this. There's a point, and it can, it can happen within an hour. Where they're just cl- too close to being too long, and then all of a sudden they turn this corner, and you can't go like another minute with them being unclipped. They just feel so gross all of a sudden. That's how my hair feels right now. I think the corner of your fingernails turn is called the tip of your finger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they start I guess. wrapping around. Sure. Yeah. Man, 
So um, I guess we're talking wastewater treatment then, obviously, with all this fingernail talk. Yeah, and I got to say, who did this one? Did Ed put this together for us? Ed did this with a high fever, from what I understand. Right, non-COVID related, we should point out. Yeah, he was just sick. He uh, came through. He's doing okay. He's on the mend. Um, but yeah, he he turned this in. And he's like, I, I had a fever when I wrote this, so it might not make that much sense. But it did. I think it did. But I do. Uh, we should say, if you work in wastewater treatment, uh, what I did find out doing supplementary research was that there are clearly a lot of like there are almost fifteen thousand uh, treatment plants in the United States, and there are clearly a bunch of different ways to do it because I saw a bunch of other different stuff. Right. So let's just say what we're going to talk about is one way that it can go. Yeah, and we'll probably touch on some of the other ones that, you know, people use, but there's just no way we could cover everything. And the <laughs> other thing that I saw too is there's a um there's a, a real sentiment that the United States in particular's infrastructure for treating wastewater um is aging really rapidly. Like we need to do something about it soon. I saw some 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 watchdog group said we need to spend about $240 billion to upgrade our wastewater treatment around the country. Somebody else said $600 billion. But everybody's saying, wait, 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 okay. That's great because we're using really antiquated methods that work. They work pretty well, but they're having a lot of trouble keeping up with um, the, the Joneses. The che- with the Joneses, yes, because the Joneses now, because we live amongst, like, plastic everywhere, they poop and pee plastic, they um, throw stuff in, uh, antibiotics into their toilets. There's, like, a different world than the wastewater treatment plants were built to to handle, like, in the, in the early and mid-20th century. So this is, like, a real opportunity to update our infrastructure as we rebuild it. So hopefully we'll be doing that. Hopefully. And you know what? Two hundred and fifty billion doesn't sound like a lot of money. I thought I was going to hear a number like one trillion. That's what I would have thought too. I was actually kind of surprised. I went back and looked, and no, they were talking about the the wastewater treatment. So I don't know if it's. I, I know that some of the technologies are very expensive. Yeah, and maybe they're saying to rebuild as is. It would be two hundred and forty to six hundred billion, but maybe to to implement some of the. Um, the more high-tech stuff that, that has come along in the last few years. Maybe that would be a little more high-dollar. All right. Well, let's talk about low-dollar Okay. by way of history because at the beginning of wastewater treatment – well, you can't even call it wastewater treatment. It was just calling – it was basically like how we dealt with wastewater. We weren't treating it at all. No. Uh, the very the most rudimentary thing that you still can see in places are outhouses and mm-hmm. – Latrines, uh, which a latrine is just an outhouse, uh, or an outhouse is just a latrine with a little, a little bit of privacy involved. Yeah, and you know what? I was looking up outhouses. They're still around. They There's are. There's like composting toilets and urine diverters and all sorts of like hippie stuff you can get into if you want. But one thing I kept seeing was, you know, like there's always like a crescent moon cut out on the outhouse. Uh, yeah, I've seen those. It's like almost synonymous with an outhouse. It looks weird without one to me. So I looked it up, and it turns out that back in colonial times, when um, there was a pre-literate population, the crescent moon indicated that that outhouse was for women, and a star cutout indicated it was for men. I so think there's I, the I knew mystery. That. From, oh, uh, you knew that? Yeah. I never had any, any idea. Yeah, I learned that visiting uh, Mount Vernon. 
That would be a good place to learn that for sure. And George Washington's just had a big cutout of a marijuana leaf. <laughs> he did. It was only for him. <laughs> yeah, he'd come home from working in the fields and Martha would have a big bowl, <laughs> big fat bowl waiting for him at the end of the day. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, so if you're talking about 20th century, you would think like, yeah, but surely when we got to the 20th century, uh, they were really handling uh, the sewage properly. Not so at all. Um, no. Just, you know, it was well into the 20th century when we still had suburbs with people living them in them with no uh, sewer connections and outhouses. And this was this is kind of hard to believe, but I guess in more rural areas. But Ed even says suburbs. Yeah, he made it sound like basically if you went into like, um, I don't know, uh, Dunwoody or something like that, which is a <laughs> suburb of Atlanta, okay. you would have found outhouses in the 50s, which maybe that's true. I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, a septic tank is really just kind of a fancy latrine pit. Yeah, but it's interesting, too, because in uh, like 6500 BCE, there were places that, you know, it's funny because it seems like there's a lot of uh, advanced thinking in ancient times that goes mm-hmm. by the wayside for just thousands of years and then it comes back. Mm-hmm. But in what is now modern Syria, they actually had drainage pipes and stuff that fed wastewater from the outhouses, uh, basically to the streets and rivers. So it's not like it was great, <laughs> but it at least got it out of there. They didn't have a lot of follow through on their ideas. Great no. first idea. And then they were like, just forget it after that. Pretty much. But hey, have you ever heard why? Things were, like, possibly more advanced or very advanced early on, and then they they went dark for a little while. I feel like we talked about this before. It must have been the Enlightenment episode because it's the um, it was the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, right? When the Church took over and basically said science can can burn hell. Amazing we're, how that works, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then the Enlightenment came along and said, "No, science is back, everybody," and and we started to have like sewage treatment again. Which, I mean, not coincidentally, that's around the time we started taking sewage treatment seriously. And it wasn't just that we like got a lot smarter all of a sudden from the Enlightenment, which. Definitely was partially the case, but there were way more people. And so things like digging a, a hole in the ground, pooping and peeing into it, and then once it got full, you know, burying it and digging another hole, um, methods like that just became unsustainable. Or putting all of your sewage out into the street, it became unsustainable just because there were so many people. Yeah, and there was poop and pee literally everywhere in the streets, in the rivers, in the lakes, and the first um, sort of push toward treating the sewage was literally just because the smell. Eventually, they were like, this is terrible to live amongst. Maybe we could do something. Maybe we could throw some lime or some charcoal or some sawdust on this stuff. And at least <laughs> – and it won't be safe, but we won't be like walking around gagging 24-7. <laughs> right. They're like, at least there's some sawdust on there. Some Do something, for God's sake. <laughs> Kitty litter. Sure. So they did do that, right? Um, but that still it still wasn't enough. I mean, people were still just they they. I think in our great stink episode, Joseph Bazalgette was um, just revered as a saint, basically for saving people by you know diverting um, sewage into sewers away yeah. from people's drinking water and stuff. But even still, I think he was also responsible for helping design some of the earliest wastewater treatment plants. But um, it's still around the time and, and into the 20th century, like, there, 
it was basically like, here's a sewer, and then we're just going to make the sewer come out downstream of our of our drinking water supply, and then problem solved. Right. But like, again, sorry that, for Shelbyville, but <laughs> we're fine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Chew on it, Shelbyville. Chew on our fecal matter. Oh, God. But but that was kind of exactly what happened. If you were downriver, downstream, or, you know, on the other side of the lake from this area, you know, you got their poop in your backyard, and you didn't want that. So eventually people started realizing that there are things that you can do to make water better and then put it into rivers and lakes and streams and even the ocean and seas. And that is basically where we're at right now with wastewater treatment, which is— we poop and pee and we flush stuff into the sewer and then the stuff goes into a wastewater treatment plant. We do some stuff to it and then we put out slightly better than sewage water into the rivers and lakes and streams and and hope for the best. Yeah, that's right. Um, Some of the early things they also did was like flood a field with wastewater. Mm -hmm. Uh, This allowed sedimentation, which is the, you know, the, the feces basically settling. And then Actually, the plants can help out. The plants take up all that gross stuff as water that they use to grow and right. kind of traps it in there, which is nice. But, and then you sell those plants to Shelbyville. <laughs> that's right. To eat. Yeah. But it still didn't change. Uh, it didn't make anything less harmful uh, as far as bacteria goes. So that's why typhoid and cholera and everything was a huge problem. And that's why wastewater may be the biggest uh advancement and life-saving device like that and penicillin are Mm -hmm. neck neck and neck i think yeah really i mean like just not being around water that contains all sorts of harmful bacteria that people pooped out that's definitely going to improve your lifespan for sure and that that whole thing about putting sewage onto a field and letting the plants deal with it that's actually still around that's like a that's a a sensible way to treat sewage because not only do the plants, you know, take care of it, but as it trickles down through the soil to the groundwater, there's all sorts of microbes and minerals and all sorts of ions that pick up that harmful stuff and that actually purifies the water. The problem is, is once you get too many people, which can happen really quickly, that that soil and those plants get overwhelmed and a lot of bad stuff gets through and then you're polluting the groundwater. So as more and more people came along, we realized we had to come up with technology. We couldn't just rely on soil anymore. Yeah. um, Massachusetts was a little forward thinking. In uh, Worcester, Mass, in 1889, they actually treated sewage with chemicals. Uh, And this is one of the first chemical treatments for sewage in America, I think. Yeah. And that would cause these solids to clump together and then settle out, like, obviously, the the fecal matter. Uh, And that was good because (laughs) bacteria is more uh, more apt to cling to the poop than it will to stay in the water. So that helped for a little while. And then for a long time after that, they would just sort of dilute the water with uh, with clean water and say, well, it's this is as good as we can do, basically. Yeah, which I mean, again, that's kind of what we're doing now. It's just the stuff we're putting out now is way better, um, way less harmful, and has way more stuff taken out than it did in the 19th century. But that's ultimately... That's what I'm saying. We're still working mostly on those premises. One is that you um, you you allow sedimentation to happen, which is like putting sewage over a field and letting the sediment settle. And then um, 
you use chemical or biological treatments to filter out stuff that is left over even after sedimentation. And that's, again, that's that's where we're at today. It's just the techniques we're using are much more advanced. Yeah, and I, I don't think we even said what wastewater is because I think it, a lot of people might think that wastewater is just something that goes down your toilet. Um, but wastewater is any kind of water affected by human use at all, period. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's storm runoff, you know, rainwater is is wastewater. Um, and you might think like rainwater is beautiful. It falls from the sky and <laughs> it's so clean. But this stuff is running through cities. It's running, uh, and especially in cities because there's not enough uh, dirt and grass to soak it all up. So it's it's taking everything on every urban city street in America and yeah. collecting that and taking it with it. So fertilizer, pesticides, uh, any kind of ag- agricultural grossness, Oil, um, gas. Road, roadkill. I mean, just think about every disgusting thing <laughs> on the ground, and that's what stormwater is. And that's why stormwater is treated, just like yeah. it is, which is wastewater. Whole possums. Tons of possums. Guns, apparently. What? I saw a, a one wastewater treatment explainer video, and apparently a lot of guns end up getting filtered out in that first big filter. Oh, my gosh. Because I think people, like— I don't know if they're just murder weapons that people throw down a sewer drain. I mean, I would guess so, or at least crime weapons, you yeah. know? It's kind of scary. That's cra- yeah, you'd like to think, like, that happened one time somewhere, not like that's a regular occurrence. That's nuts, man. Well, I mean, I say a lot of guns. I don't know how many guns, but— Tons it, of guns. It was enough for them to mention that guns show up quite often. <laughs> right. Um the the one you were talking about, which is like all that that wastewater that goes down toilets, the poop and the pee mm-hmm. water, that's actually called black water. <laughs> I love that term, man. I'm gonna yeah, go, I'm gonna go make some black water. Yeah, that sounds like a, a <laughs> like a hardcore cocktail that would involve Jägermeister and the Doobie Brothers. Let's work it out here. So Jägermeister, okay. Um, a little bit of simple syrup. Very simple syrup. <sighs> Orange. Juice, fresh squeezed orange juice. How would that be with? I'll bet that'd be awful with Jägermeister. Of course, everything's going to be awful with Jägermeister. Yeah. Um, and then a little um, freshly muddled basil. <laughs> yeah. Little star anise, perhaps. That's the black water <laughs> cocktail. Oh my god, that's terrible. Uh, gray water is not as gross as that by any stretch. This is all the water, and we've talked about gray water in our, our mm-hmm. eco-friendly episodes. Because a lot of households will reuse their gray water, the water that goes down your sink or your shower. Um, a lot of individual households try to recycle their own gray water if you're, uh, you know, if one of those forward-thinking uh, hippy-dippy types. Sure, if you've got a composting toilet outhouse in your backyard. Yeah, but generally there aren't, like, big cities with huge gray water recycling systems. Yet. Yet. I predict that in the next 20 years we will see those rise pretty pretty commonly. Yeah, I hope so. I do too. I mean, it's definitely about time. Like, we waste water like, like, like waste it's water. nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how cheap our water is, especially in the States, you know? Yeah. Um, there's also a couple other things that if you're a waste uh, – I think they actually – they don't call them wastewater any longer. They call it um, – Water resource reclamation plants. Yeah. Which I really kind of drives home what we're talking about a little more. Like this is this is something you don't want to just pee away. 
You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like this is important stuff. Um, and so they're, they're starting to use like that kind of nomenclature to, to indicate how important it is. But if you run one of these plants or you work at them, um, a couple of other things you're going to be on the lookout for um, is the um, amount of pollutants that you're, you have in your, your water at any given time, the amount that comes through. And then in addition to storm runoff, black water, and gray water, you're also on the lookout for industrial effluent. Sure. And we should probably say real quick, um, effluent is what most people call wastewater, all forms yeah, with going into e. the treatment plant. Not, yes, not e- affluent. <laughs> no, no. Um, effluent uh, is is all wastewater if you're not in the know. If you are in the know, effluent is what a, a water reclamation treatment plant puts out. The treated water is effluent. The, the, all the untreated stuff that comes in is influent. That's right. But I think if we say effluent, we're probably just going to be talking about it in general throughout this episode. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned industrial uh, processes. Um, we should probably point out, too, that if you have an industrial plant manufacturing something, you, mm-hmm. you probably have your own uh, wastewater treatment system on site you you don't just dump all that stuff and say here county or city deal with it uh you have to clean that stuff first to send that really gross still gross water to the city probably depends on your mayor if he's spineless or she's spineless that's true mayor quimby Um, mayor quimby he wouldn't he wouldn't let it happen because he was spineless he'd let it happen because he was getting kickbacks for it oh man my favorite i don't even know if i can say this on the air Okay. Well, should I? Do you know the line? My favorite. No, no, I can't wait to hear it. Well, edit it out if you can't. Jeez. All right. I can't remember which episode, but it was when everyone was freaking out about something, and Quimby came up to the podium and said, "Calm down, everyone. I know we'll all we're all frightened and horny." Yeah, that's right. I think that was the uh, the comet episode where the comet was headed towards Springfield. (laughs) We're all frightened and horny. That's so so funny. And then uh, he introduces Professor Frank, and Professor Frank goes, uh, uh, good evening, everyone. And somebody stands up. He goes, quit stalling. What's the plan? <laughs> he goes, okay, all right, sit down. Oh, man, I miss that I, show. I do, too. Um, you want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and we'll talk about how this stuff is treated. <laughs> Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull. 
more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, so we've basically, we've talked a lot about wastewater up to this point, Chuck. And I feel like we should talk about it some more. Yeah, and uh, let me point something out too real quick. Because Ed said in here that uh, um, wastewater treatment plants is not water that you're going to end up drinking. That is not fully true. Um, right. In, in water-challenged places in the world, uh, they don't like to call it this, but there are treatment facilities uh, where they can go toilet to tap. Yeah. Um, places uh, like Australia, Singapore, Namibia, and then New Mexico, Virginia, and California. Uh, they convert this stuff back into potable water. And it's yeah. pretty great, actually, because uh, they've said uh, it's shown that it actually has fewer contaminants contaminants yeah. than existing, just like what you and I are drinking in, in Atlanta, let's say. Yeah, for sure, because they put it through such a rigorous process that from what I saw, Singapore actually has to remix it with rainwater so that it'll get some of like the, the local minerals and, and terroir, basically, because yeah. they strip it. So they strip everything out. It's just like water molecules, and that's it from what they do with it. And the one in Singapore I was reading about, did you read about that one? They seem to be like yeah. the leaders of the pack with this stuff. Yeah, I think Singapore um, is especially challenged with uh, water supplies. Yeah, so they actually, um, they came up with something called New Water, N-E-W Water, mm-hmm. and the N-E-W is capitalized. It's just great, great little like word and, and and spelling and everything. Um, but they also, in addition to just coming up with like a bang up water filtration system or water reclamation system, they also had a bang up PR campaign and got everybody behind it. You have to, or, man. You totally do. There was a, a town, I can't remember in, um, I can't remember the name of it, in Australia where, like, they needed to do this, and it got sunk because some people started speaking out against it. All of a sudden, the city council started turning, changing their minds. Um, I think Malcolm Turnbull forced a referendum to try to gain favor with yeah. some of the residents there, and it was just a big mess. But the, this paper was basically demonstrating side by side, you know, how bad it could be and how good it could be. But a big part of talking people into drinking water that— Somebody else peed out at some point or was contained poop at some point. Yeah. Like, you really have to be committed to it and have a united front and basically show the science saying this is 100% harmless. There's nothing wrong with it. It's it's more pure than anything we're feeding you now. Yeah. So just try. And, and Singapore was apparently very successful with it. Yeah, you really have to do that. Um, I saw other places where they say they try not to make a too big of a show of it, but <laughs> sure, I think the opposite. I think you really got to like educate people so they know that this this water is safe and tastes fine. And yeah, I mean it's a, it's a miracle of of modern technology. You know, it really is. It totally is. And um, I, I'm with you. Like I think that's one of those things you need to be upfront and and transparent about, not letting people find out the hard way. Yeah, and new water is, you know, that's a great way to go because 
if you notice, new water sounds nothing like fecal water. No. No. <laughs> sounds like new Coke. <laughs> right. And that was a big hit. <laughs> yeah, it was. So, um, all right. Let's follow this uh, this stuff. Like, if, if you, um, let's say it's raining one day. Mm-hmm. We're standing in a sewer now, Chuck, okay? Yeah. We and don't have a— By the way, what we're about to describe takes about 24 to 36 hours, depending okay. on the plant. Cool. So we're standing right outside of a sewage treatment plant. It smells great. Or a, a water reclamation plant. And we are knee deep. Uh-huh. Our galoshes are on. Uh-huh. And we're standing there and all this water's coming through. It's raining. So there's um, stormwater runoff. Wait, where'd you um, get galoshes? <laughs> I'm sorry. I only have the one pair. I got flip-flops. I saved up for them. That's so gross. Um and there's a possum floating by mm-hmm. because uh, because this is stormwater runoff. Maybe there's a gun over there. Mm-hmm. Um, people are pooping and peeing, so there's black water all around us as well. People are taking showers, so there's gray water yeah. coming through. There's corn and all over the place. It, I could not stop thinking about <laughs> corn when I was researching this. Yeah, like what, at what point does corn get filtered out? So we, about we're about at that point. One of the first things that all this water is going to do is go through a um, a pretty good size fence, right? And that's going to hold back all of the big stuff, the possums, the tree branches, probably a gun, unless mm-hmm. it's a real tiny little, you know, like old tiny gambler's derringer, right? Yeah. And all this stuff is going to get caught up on a fence, and eventually somebody's going to come along and scrape it off, sell the gun, eat the possum, um, who do who knows what with the tree branch, and then um, just basically keep it clean for other stuff. That's that's the very first step that really before the water ever even goes into the plant, it's going to pass through one of these grates. Yeah, or there may be like a, uh, a vertical conveyor system, so some oh. so some unlucky individual doesn't have to scoop uh, po- poop possums and sure. poop guns out of water. <laughs> right. A clean possum is bad enough, but one that's been bathed in black water, that's not good. And man, we're we're making jokes, but God bless those people who do this work, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Hats off to them because, again, they're keeping all of us safe and healthy. That's right. You know? Galoshes off. Uh, Right. So, uh, well, no, I'm keeping mine on. <laughs> okay. Um, so, the, we've gone through that first grate. Now, there's another series of screens that are going to pick out smaller stuff, like, you know, bits of tire or little um, car accident pieces that run off with the storm water. <laughs> Do you know what okay. I'm talking about? Sure. Where, like, you know, there's just all sorts of glittery stuff in the road. All that stuff gets picked up and coarse sand, that kind of thing. And now you're talking. Now you've got some water that's ready to be treated. Yeah, there, there's uh, something called a grit chamber. Uh, they can be horizontal, aerated, or vortex. Um, the vortex ones are kind of cool. Uh, Ed called it a hydrocyclone. I think it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it basically just spins the water and slings all that grit and stuff, I, I guess, uh, car accident stuff, <laughs> right? out to the side where it's filtered out. Do you remember uh, at, like, the county fair or whatever, that, that ride that was like that? It yeah, would press you up against the wall? Yeah. And Six Flags had one? Yeah. It, uh, God, it was called the... Oh, uh, what was it called? But yeah, it it spun and then the floor dropped out from under you. Yeah, right. It was probably called the the black water. I can't cocktail. remember. I did not like it though. So, oh, I loved it. Six Flags had one of those, huh? Yeah, it, they got rid of it pretty quickly. And the, of course, you know, you always get these Six Flags rumors. The rumor was that some child didn't get slung out and like got trapped when the floor came back up. <laughs> God, which may have been true for all I know. But uh, I just I don't like uh, dizzying things. 
Yeah, the, the trick was to just keep your focus on something inside, in the middle, like the person across from you oh. who was moving relative to you, and that kept you from getting dizzy. Gotcha. Okay. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, so, but you can, if you were so inclined, and also I have to say, like reading all of these different steps, I'm like, this would be kind of a fun ride, actually, to like slide through here. <laughs> yeah, 24 if hours. <laughs> if you were small, if like you were just a little piece of car headlight to yeah. make it all the way through, that would be pretty fun. It's a wild ride. So um, now you've got water that's ready to be treated. It's been, um, the grit's been taken out. The big pieces have been taken out. But there's still plenty of stuff in it. And the water's oh, sure. very turbid, right? There's a lot of suspended particulate matter just kind of floating around, making the water murky. And this is where it enters what's known as primary treatment, where basically if there's any water reclamation plant anywhere in the world, it's going to go through this stage at least, the primary treatment. Yeah, and um, I think it's, uh, you know, you think about during the daytime, there's a lot more activity. So uh, yeah. these facilities aren't meant to, um, like, operate at full bore during the day and then be cool at night. Like, they depend on a very steady flow and, you know, pollution can't all bum rush it when everyone goes and takes their morning poop. Right. So they have these uh, these holding tanks, basically, uh, where they can hold this stuff during the day that's coming in and just sort of balance it out and distribute it over a 24-hour period. So it's not uh, – the system's never overwhelmed, basically. Yeah, it's called flow equalization, where if you imagine this as a river running through, they keep very tight control over the volume and the speed and the flow of the wastewater that's going through the plant. And so when that flow is exceeded, whatever is exceeded gets diverted off to one of these holding basins so that when the flow goes down, they can move some from the from the uh, the holding basin into that flow to make it so it's steady basically 24 hours a day. That's pretty ingenious stuff, if you ask me. I didn't know that. It is. Uh, and then one more gross thing that we should mention is— Oh, yeah, we forgot this. Yeah, grease and fat. Um, you know, restaurants use grease traps, but there's still so much um, industrial and consumer— like, you know, think about anytime someone pours grease down their drain or oil down their drain in their house, mm -hmm. which you shouldn't be doing, right. it, that stuff ends up in the wastewater treatment facility, and it all loves to hang out with each other and congeal up together— and there's something called fatbergs that form. Yeah. And Do you remember the one disgusting. from London? Oh God. Yeah, they're they're horrid. It's a it's a huge, sometimes multi-ton ball of fat and grease. And apparently they're really good at attracting um uh flushable wipes. Uh, I thought you were gonna say the ladies. <laughs> right. <laughs> the ones that have like gold medallions and chest hair stuck to them, yes. <laughs> oh god. But the the normal fatbergs, the ones with glasses and buck teeth, they don't. Right. <laughs> so disco stew versus Cletus the slack jawed yokel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't know this was going to be so Simpsons heavy. I had no idea either. But but yeah, I remember learning about fatbergs back in, I think it was 2011, something like that, where London had one. Yeah. And and they were like everybody stop flushing wipes, and um, everyone said no. You can just get the fatbergs out every once in a while. But, yeah, that's that's horrid. But they have to get those out, not just because the fatbergs are so gross, but like you were saying, that can really screw with the machinery in the um, in the, the water reclamation plant. So I guess that would be after grit, potentially. Yeah, they go into these aeration basins, and they basically just inject a bunch of air in the bottom of the tanks 
or not even tanks. A lot of these are open air that, you know, we'll mention that later. But mm-hmm. uh, it just creates bubbles and it aerates the water. And that kind of just works everything free where it can float to the top. So you can just skim it right on off and slap mm-hmm. it on a hoagie roll and go to town. Yep. It's a great mayo substitute. <laughs> I bet. Um, okay, so now we finally enter this primary treatment, although I would I would argue that removing grease and fat, or I think the acronym is FOG, fat, oil, and grease, um, that's part of primary treatment. But we'll say that it's step negative 0.5. We finally reached step one, which is where this turbid um, uh, water with all of this kind of suspended particulate matter in it is is going to be dumped into a tank. Usually, um, well, I can't say usually, but there's like two main versions that I've seen. One is a big round one um, where the water just flows into the middle mm-hmm. and then just kind of um, slows down as it reaches the the outside of the tank or the edges of the tank. The other is a, makes a little more sense. It's almost like a big swimming pool where the water comes in one end and slows down as it makes its way toward the other. Either way, the point of this is slowing the water down so that it continues to flow but flows so slowly that all those suspended particles have a chance to settle to the bottom under gravity. And that's sedimentation. Like we talked about, you know, way back in the day where they used to take sewer water and put it over a field as it was trickling through that soil under the force of gravity, that's sedimentation. We do the same thing today, except we usually do it in a tank rather than a field. And then we also may use some agents to speed it up, like flocculating agents, which is one of my favorite words. Maybe a good band name. I'm not sure. Not bad. Um, There's also coagulating agents, which is a terrible band name. And they'll actually do what um, what they were trying to do with the grease, which is kind of fluff it up or make it attracted to one another and, and form larger solids that are way easier to get out of there. And after this primary treatment, it, the water looks pretty good, but you would not drink it because you would die almost immediately of a horrible, terrible death. Yeah, and the, the key with these primary clarifiers, which are the, these main tanks that they go into at first— is there's something called settling velocity, and that's the speed at which the particulate is going to settle. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned earlier the the flow rate coming in. The reason they have to be just manic about how much stuff is coming in there is because your flow rate 100% of the time uh, can never exceed that settling velocity. So right. in other words, the stuff coming in can't be coming in faster than all that nasty stuff can settle. Right, right. And But that nasty stuff does settle, and it forms what everybody calls sludge. But what I saw, Chuck, is that it is not the, the term of art these days. The current term is raw primary biosolids, formerly sludge. That's the full name of it. RPBs? Uh, R-P-B-F-Ss. Oh, those are different words? Like, formerly sludge is part of the name. Okay. Like, they, they changed the name of sludge to raw, raw primary biosolids, formerly sludge. Like, prints, basically. Yeah, right. Exactly. The artist formerly known as Prince. Right. Oh, man. R.I.P. Yeah, for real. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, things are going to stink. Uh, there's no way to get around it. If you've been to a wastewater treatment plant, it's going to smell. Um, mm-hmm. That's why they're usually not close to residential areas, although there is one in Atlanta over on the west side that's just kind of right there. Yeah, I've never smelled it. I haven't either. Um, 
it may be capped. Like if you get complaints of odors, then basically if you get enough of them, then the city says, all right, we got to do something here. And Party's over. Yeah, maybe we need to put a uh, put a roof on this thing. It can't be open air any longer. Or maybe we need to – and this is probably what they do in the one on the west side is they, they treat that air. They duct it out and treat it. Uh, you know, old school. Uh, they basically take a bunch of toilet paper rolls and stuff them with dryer sheets, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the old dorm trick. <laughs> oh, I remember. Sure, we talked about that recently. I don't remember what episode though. Oh, did we? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, yes, we did. But if you work in one of these plants, it's it's not gonna. It's not like working at a a tulip farm in Holland, you know. <laughs> That would be a nice smell, although I don't think tulips actually smell, but I'm sure it's still better than whatever everybody at those reclamation plants are smelling. But you sure. know what? Tulip farmers in Holland smell great. Right. They do. They have a musky, earthy odor. <laughs> so, um, okay, so yes, it smells. I thought that was a cute, hilarious little like sidetrack included in this for us. Um, but this water, though, Chuck, right? Once yes. it's treated primarily, it, it it looks fine, but it's not fine. And for a very long time, like, that was the extent of uh, water reclamation. You would scoop out the sludge, send that that primary, um, primary treated water out to lakes and rivers, and then you go, geez, why are all these fish dying off? What's the problem? Mm-hmm. And the problem, it turned out, was that we really needed to add a second stage of treatment that even though you couldn't see the the bad stuff in there anymore because you'd taken it out, there was still plenty of microscopic material that could cause all sorts of havoc on the body of water that you release this out to. And they're, they're um, described by a term called um, biochemical oxygen demand, which is the amount of basically living aerobic bacteria in this treated water and how much oxygen it will suck out of that body of water growing, like forming an algae bloom. And then as the algae bloom uses up all the oxygen and dies off, um, the the bacteria that eats those use up the rest of the oxygen and kill off a lot of fish and a lot of other wildlife in that body of water that you dump that sewage into. Yeah. And so as they kind of figured out that there's this, this, this stuff you can't see in there that's still a real problem, we've added a secondary form of uh, water treatment. And that's really improved things tremendously. Yeah, so let's take another break and we'll talk about secondary treatment and then eventually tertiary treatment right mm-hmm. after this. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right. So where we left off was, uh, and and we should also say, too, that, like, there are probably, out of the 15,000 treatment plants in the country, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are still some that stop at the primary treatment. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive, too. But which uh, is like you can't like that's that to me is an ecological crime. It's an environmental crime. Oh, absolutely. So because it's so damaging to to water resources. It's just and and wildlife resources too. It's just it, it should be a crime. It's not yet, but hopefully it will be soon. Oh, absolutely. Um, so secondary treatment is key. And if you're if you're working at a modern uh, wastewater treatment facility, then you're definitely going to go with secondary treatment. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the what year they started coming around, but uh, um, anything I, actually, modern. I can tell you oh, yeah? something. So yeah, the 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 main process of secondary treatment is called activated sludge, and it was developed starting in 1912. Okay, so there are still some that are behind the 1912 <laughs> barrier. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in the secondary treatment, this is where um, it gets kind of interesting in a chemical way. Uh, You talked about the algae blooms, which are no good. So Mm -hmm. to prevent stuff like that from happening, um, what's going on in this water is there are all these – what's basically going on is aerobic digestion. They're putting things in there that can eat this stuff. Right. It's crazy. Like it's beneficial bacteria to the rescue, which is just wonderful. Like they're using – this is that biological treatment we referred to earlier where they're saying, hey, there's all this bac- bacteria and all these other terrible um, like little byproducts and things that we don't want in there. Everything from like gasoline molecules to whatever. Um, and there are different types of bacteria, protozoa, even tiny, tiny, tiny little uh, invertebrates um, that live in the water. Most, most of the time are microscopic and they'll eat this stuff. And if we feed them this treated sewage, they'll make it even even purer. And that's that's the secondary treatment, which I just love. And we've been doing it for over 100 years now. Well, most of us have been, I should say. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about when you look at a wastewater treatment plant, they have all these cool mechanical processes going on, but they're also growing essentially and uh, living things there that mm-hmm. are their little work buddies. They're their little cohorts right. that do part two, and they have to... Uh, they have to foster life for these microorganisms, I assume, on site, right? Yeah, but I, from what I saw, it, it it's kind of like a self-sustaining thing. It, it's not it's sea not, monkeys? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, there probably are a few sea monkeys mixed in there. I wouldn't be surprised. But from what I saw with the activated sludge, you're actually taking bacteria that's already alive and eating the stuff in the sewage— you're just fostering it by pumping air 
and more specifically, oxygen into the mix, which mixes this stuff up, but also gives them oxygen to like really kind of be powered by. And so they really go to town eating this. So not only do they break down during this activated sludge process, these these, um, beneficial bacteria not only break down the, the, the stuff you're trying to get out of the water, they also multiply and create more and more bacteria so that part of the activated sludge process is after being treated for several hours, you move that treated, secondary treated water out, and then you take the sludge that you let settle to the bottom and pump it back through for another round because you've got all new bacteria that was produced in that last round. And so it's kind of like this nice circular closed system that is so effective, I saw, that um, usually at night they have to skim off some of the bacteria that's been produced that day because it's usually so successful. Yeah, and I think they even pay someone to stand there and go, what do you think of that? How about one more round? <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> uh, every, and- <laughs> every every six hours after a treatment process goes through, they just shout, it's a miracle. <laughs> so we're talking about like bacterial membranes, like a sheet of bacteria mm-hmm. that might churn through this uh, one of these uh, basins yep. uh, or maybe an algae sheet or something like that. And, you know, you got to, like you said, you got to keep this stuff alive. So the pH is important, oxygenating, like you were talking about. For sure. The temperature's got to be regulated. Um, you just have to make sure these, these, little, uh, these little boogers stay healthy. And happy. You want them to be happy as can be. And, and as well long fed. as you're pumping oxygen there and making the pH the way that you want it uh, or the way that they want it, they're, they're going to be happy and reproduce and multiply and go forth and spread the gospel. All right, so that is uh, secondary treatment, and that is apparently it gets it to the point where the United States has said, fine, dump it in a lake, dump it in a river, dump it in the ocean. It's perfectly fine. Just don't call fine. me late for dinner. <laughs> but then if, you're, uh, if you really want to kick things up a notch, you can go for a tertiary treatment. This is just showing off. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Uh, Another word for it is uh, disinfection or polishing. Um, And this is pretty interesting because you wouldn't know it, but there are tiny little things uh, ranging from parasites to antibiotics. And we'll talk about all these a little more in detail to microplastics. Mm -hmm. Like there are microplastics in some soaps or just larger plastics that break down. And some of that stuff gets through these first two processes, and there's actually plastic in the water. Yeah, I'm guessing Emily doesn't use plastics in the soap she makes for Love Your Mama. She does not. (laughs) No (laughs) No. plastics. No. Um, But I had no idea until I read this that that was a thing, but it it makes sense. So, like, I guess the exfoliating stuff, it's not all crushed walnuts shells or anything like that. (laughs) Like, it would make a lot of sense to use all of this waste plastic. Or it makes sense in, I guess, a strictly business sense. But these plastics that they can be filtered out, but they can also be broken down to this point where they're, they're microscopic as well. And so if you're just doing primary treatment, you're sending a lot of those microplastics right out the other side. And that's allowed them to kind of spread throughout the entire food chain. I saw this, um, I think it was a frontline just the other night on plastics. And man, it was eye-opening. Like oh, we need yeah. to do an episode on plastics. I've been wanting to for a while, but this Same. one kind of lit a fire under my butt. Um, but it I mean, it's it's just everywhere, and so much so that not just washing up on beaches, but it, it's in the water we drink, right? Yeah. So one of the things they figured out is there are types of bacteria that eat plastics. 
So now they're trying to figure out how to cultivate those bacteria. And that's another thing, too, what, what we were saying with that secondary treatment, like activated sludge. It's not just one kind of bacteria. It's a huge microbiome of bacteria that eat all sorts of different things, specialize in all these different things. But when you have a big, huge, diverse colony, you can get that much more stuff out. And so there are some bacteria that eat my, microplastics. But then I also saw, and this to me is the, the future, it's um, ozone, O3, three oxygen atoms put together. Yeah. And that's, that, that, from what I saw, Chuck, it handles every single thing that you would possibly want to get out of water. Yeah, so with ozone, what they'll do is they'll send an electrical charge through the water, and these O2 molecules uh, disassociate from one another and then recombine to form ozone, O3. Mm-hmm. And it's just a kind of a, a superhero oxidant that does a great, great job killing bacteria. I saw it as more like a coked-up John Belushi just running through a room or something like that. That's how I <laughs> saw it. Because, it, like, it just goes in there and, and messes stuff up. Like, anything it touches, it just starts to break down. Um, because it's so reactive that it basically says, give me an electron, baby, and it, the, whatever it just took an electron from starts to fall apart. Yeah, you can also chlorinate uh, the wastewater. Um, you know, we've talked about chlorination before. Uh, it works pretty well, but it's not like a 100% disinfectant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the chlorine itself can break down into toxic uh, substances, which is not good, because then you got to go treat that with other uh, tertiary methods, and that's no good either. That's right. Like chloroform, I think, is a byproduct of it. Uh, and then there's UV radiation, which takes a ton of energy. Uh, it can be effective, but it's really expensive. Yeah, it is. Um, But it does work. I mean, most things do not stand up very well to UV radiation or UV light. Um, We have one of those phone um, cleaners, a UV phone cleaner. Have you seen those? Yeah, I I saw those on Shark Tank many years ago. Oh, yeah. So um, I can't tell if it works or not, but I think it does. (laughs) I realize it's kind of a matter of faith here, but it makes me feel good. and then there's another one called reverse osmosis, which I think deserves its own uh, episode or at least needs to figure in like a desalination episode or something. But it is um, basically using a membrane that is so small, only water can pass through it. So when you push sewage or treated water or anything um, through this membrane, on the other side, water comes out, everything else is left behind. And what I saw about Singapore's new water is not only do they use that very expensive, very effective UV radiation, they also use reverse osmosis in addition to microfiltering to produce this new water, which is why it's like so pure that they have to add it back with, you know, rainwater to to get some of the minerals back into it. Yeah, reverse osmosis uh, works, rejects, I think, 99.9% of bacteria. Mm -hmm. Uh, Los Angeles and some other cities are using this. Uh, like we said, cities that have water shortages generally. Uh, it really depends on not only this membrane, but tons of pressure, um, up to 600 pounds per square inch, very mm-hmm. highly pressurized. And if you want to get what they're calling IPR, indirect potable reuse, which is eventually you can drink this stuff. I've seen all kinds of pro- – I mean, I guess this new water, that's what their aim is. But you you take your tertiary tertiary – Tertiary? <laughs> Tertiary treated water. You hold that in a reservoir for a while. Then it goes through osmosis. 
then it's treated with either UV or ozone or both. Then it goes back to a reservoir for about six months mm-hmm. for just natural processes to go to go to work. Right. And then it gets sent just through the regular standard water treatment that everyone else's water goes through. Wow. That's like LA's doing that? I think if if you're doing IPR right, then you're doing many of these steps in concert with one another and then sending it through the regular system in the end. That's really interesting. I'm sure there are different ways in different places, but uh, it, it's pretty amazing that you can you can drink water that goes down your toilet eventually, and it's probably better than a lot of city water. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, one of the things that, that got me, Chuck, um, was that we still do that thing where we take that sludge and spread it over um, farmland, yeah. create those sewage farms, so everything's kind of come back full circle again. Um, and we also use semi, semi-treated water for, like, um, like, like uh, irrigating parks and stuff like that. Yep. So there's, like, a, there's, there's um, a lot of good uses for, for water that's not quite uh, indirect potable reuse quality, but can, sh- is still, like, good enough. You just wouldn't want to drink it. Yeah. Or you can just dump it back into your local river or lake or something like that. Yeah, that's always great. And then the just lastly, real quick, um, the future of the stuff that I saw is that they're getting so good at filtering stuff out that they're like, well, wait a minute, we're accumulating a lot of this plastic. Um, so let's start collecting it and selling it yeah. for reuse, right? Poop plastic. Which is, which is wonderful because, I mean— Otherwise, they're just diverting this stuff to a landfill or they're getting so good at getting like phosphorus or nitrogen out. Well, let's make a sideline of selling fertilizer to farmers or something like that. Yeah. Um, rather than adding more to the water supply, we'll just reuse the stuff that didn't get used the first time. And then um, they're also reusing cellulose fiber from used toilet paper. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So they're filtering out cellulose that was part of toilet paper at one point, and they're using it for everything from insulation to roadways, I believe, which I didn't know they used cellulose in roadways, but by God, they do now. Crazy. So that's wastewater treatment, everybody. One of those great engineering episodes that we do from time to time. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I got one more. We always like to think of our friends in New York because that's sort of the gold standard of huge city doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. And there are 14 plants in New York City alone. And they, how many gallons of water per day do you think they treat? Just take a stab. 90 million. 1.3 billion gallons of water per day. Wow, I was way, way Which off. apparently uh, the statistic I saw said, if you, uh, that is enough over eight years to fill the entire Dead Sea with toilet water. Wow. Which you should not do. Don't do it. Because the Dead Sea special. Do you got anything else? I got nothing else. Uh, Well, if you want to know more about wastewater, just show up at your local wastewater treatment plant, or sorry, your uh, water water resource reclamation plant, and they'll probably give you a tour, especially if they're friendly types. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Yeah, show up and say, I want to see the artist formerly known as Sludge. (laughs) Right. But also doing a really like kind of hostile, demanding way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to call this from a teacher. We love hearing from our teachers here during the uh, worldwide lockdown. 
now that Georgia is finally on board. Yeah, uh, they just found out that you could be uh, <laughs> contagious and not show symptoms yesterday. I'm so angry about that. It's nuts. My daughter literally knew that before our governor said he did. Yeah, for probably a good month, I would guess. Probably. Yeah. You should listen to our show. We talked about it last week. Well, yeah. in, in real time, weeks ago, by the time yeah. this comes out. That's right. All right. So this is from uh, a teacher named Jay Alexander in the mathematics department at LHS. Good morning, guys. I wanted to thank you uh, for the distraction episodes. Uh, as a teacher working from home, I've been helping my 130-plus students and their parents navigate this challenge while also making sure my two biological kiddos are doing their work as well. Uh, with the governor closing schools for the rest of the year, I woke up pretty sad this morning. I'm sad for my seniors. Uh, we didn't know the last time we were together would truly be the last time. I was thinking about that the other day, too, man. Like, it's just, it's all sad, but seniors mm-hmm. and prom and last day of school and all that fun stuff is just, uh, to, to miss that is, it just sucks. Yeah, it really does. Do you know what they're going to do? Is it like you're just going to continue on the rest of the year from home and still graduate on time? I I think everyone's just trying to figure this out in real time. Man. My own daughter is graduating from her preschool, so she's not going to see a lot of these kids ever again, which is super sad. That's Um, sad, but also congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're they're doing these uh, two times a week, these Zoom meetings, which is kind of fun to see all these kids on there. I'll bet just crawling around, not paying attention. Uh, they're actually pretty locked in. It's it's very impressive. Um, oh, really? Yeah, their teachers are on there, and they kind of are in a rhythm. It's, it's kind of cool to see. That's cool, man. All right, so let's just continue here. I'm sad for my own kids who won't see their friends and teachers for the rest of the school year. I'm sad for all my coworkers who are retiring this year. Uh, they didn't plan for it to end this way. Although, quite frankly, they may be pretty stoked. <laughs> <laughs> Early retirement. Uh, There are definitely silver linings, though. I'm seven months pregnant and don't mind working in my pajamas. The weather's great, and your podcast is keeping me sane. So thank you all so much for being my normal in this Twilight Zone world. Uh, I pray that you and your families are safe and healthy. And again, that is uh, J. Alexander, the letter J, uh, from the Mathematics Department at LHS. And right back at you, too, from us to you. Um, Thank you very much, and thanks to everybody out there sending us good vibes. We're sending them right back out to the entire world. It's basically like a D-Light concert in here. That's right. If you want to get in touch with us during this weird time or any time, you can send us an email. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, hit it with a Lysol wipe, and send it to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
Hey there, execs. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time, it's about traveling to Orlando for business. It has tons of meeting and convention spaces that'll inspire you and your team to create the extraordinary. Albert Monero, CEO of Limbitless Solutions, said it best. Orlando is an incredible place for innovation. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of the many Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities of business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com.